Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. All right, it is good to be with you this morning. I'm looking forward to what the Lord has in store. You know, there are some friendships on this, in this world that really shock us. So how could this person be friends with that person when they're on polar opposite sides? How is that possible? Well, it makes me think of our Civil War history where you have General Grant representing the Union Army over here who was best friends with General Longstreet who represented the Confederate Army. How in the world could they be the best of friends? Their friendship started before the war but was maintained all throughout the Civil War. This is a picture at Appomattox Courthouse with General Grant and Longstreet at the surrender. And historians will say that the friendship between Grant and Longstreet was pivotal in allowing the conclusion of the Civil War. You see, Longstreet said of Grant that he was an honest man and the terms of surrender would be just and he would keep his word, which allowed Lee to surrender. So this friendship actually saved lots of more blood that would have been spilled in the Civil War. It is a shocking friendship when these two have fought the bloodiest battles against each other. But the friendship that we're gonna actually look at today is even more shocking. Who's that between? You have the king's son. If you know anything about history, he would be the next heir of the throne. So that's character one. But all the way on the other side is the anointed king who we've been studying, King David. How could the king's son be best friends with the anointed new king? Well, turn with me to 1 Samuel 20, and we'll see what a unique, awesome friendship God has given here between these two characters. And before I start reading, I want to give a recap. If you remember the weeks leading up to today, everywhere David turns, danger is lurking. He is not even safe in his own home. We saw last week seven attempts by Saul to kill David. One was a spear that was thrown that just barely missed David. Every turn, he is in extreme danger. He's looking for somebody that can care for him, somebody that can protect and love, and that this friendship would be one that he can trust. And so 1 Samuel chapter 20, if we can read verses 1 through 4, we're going to see Jonathan and David here. Verse 1 through 4. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why would my father hide this from me? It is not so. 
But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So summarizing, David's on the run. He comes Now he's talking with Jonathan, and this conversation ensues between them. Why, Jonathan, is your dad out to kill me? What have I done? And Jonathan says, my dad's not out to, to get you. Uh, he would tell me if he was going to be doing that. He would have let me know if he was seeking to kill you. He tells me everything about the kingdom. And David says, not so much. He knows that there's a bond between us, so he's holding it from you. There is but a step between me and death. And if you read last chapter, that statement is very true. One step away from death multiple times was David in 1 Samuel 19. Then we see an act of loyalty and kindness out of Jonathan in verse 4. What does he say? Whatever you say, I will do for you. It's easy for us to read that text and just keep going, but what is Jonathan actually saying when he says that? He is willing to give up the kingdom in order to serve God's anointed or to follow God's plan and trust the anointed king. He's giving up his kingdom And we're going to see he's going to give up a lot more as this text goes on. So godly kindness is worth the cost. You'll see this repeated all throughout this chapter and another chapter we're going to look at. Godly kindness is worth the cost. Let's look what happens next. Verses 5 through 11. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say David earnestly asks leave, asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. So we see the text tells us that there's a new moon festival going on. This is celebrated every month in this culture. It's a way to thank God for his continuous provision. And so the first day of the new moon festival, you had to be ceremonially clean. So if you were not, if you were contaminated, there were things in this culture in the law that would make you unclean. If you became unclean, you'd be refrained from going to the new moon festival. So they come up with this plan. David should be there. And now they're going to watch Saul's reaction. If Saul deals with the situation of David's absence kindly and shows grace, then David's not in jeopardy of his life. But if Saul is angry, then we know David's life is in extreme danger. So let's see how this plan continues to unfold. Verse 12 through 17. Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he's well disposed toward David, shall I not then seek and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more, Also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. 
If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David's from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his own love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So we see these two parties, they come together and they make a covenant. Now, being in student ministry, I've seen a lot of pinky promises, and I've seen a lot of broken pinky promises. What is a covenant? It is an agreement between two parties with God as a witness. Do you see what Jonathan said in that text? May the wrath of God be on me if I do not keep my word. That is a dangerous thing to say. So when he makes an agreement here, this covenant, they are going to keep it regardless of the cost. You do not make a covenant if you are not going to keep it. They're going to put everything on the line to protect each other, and it goes beyond themselves, but also to their offspring, which is an important note to keep in the back of your head as we move forward. This covenant goes beyond their earthly lives. It goes to their offspring forever. So they make a covenant, which is shocking as we're reading this, because why would the king's son make a covenant to protect the new anointed king? From a worldly standpoint, we would say that's not a very wise decision. But again, God's got a bigger plan, and Jonathan is going to honor God's plan over his own. You're going to see godly character out of Jonathan continually through this text. Godly kindness is worth the cost. Let's see what the plan fully is, verses 18 through 23. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow's the new moon. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day... Go down quickly to the place you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain besides the stone heap. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I'll send the young man saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the young man, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you're to come for as the Lord lives, it's safe for you and there's no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of, of... which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So here we see the plan on full display. And I was reading a commentary, and I really liked how they captured the immensity of what's happening here. So look at this commentary with me. This is from the New American Commentary. David, the man described more frequently than any other in the Old Testament as possessing success-inducing wisdom, had an ingenious ploy to force Saul to reveal his true intentions toward David. The plan was simple yet effective. It proactively safeguarded David by sequestering him, and it avoided any use of force. Granted, Jonathan would have to tell his father a lie, but not one that would violate either the letter or spirit of the Torah, since its purpose was to preserve innocent life. So God has given them immense wisdom. They come up with this plan that's going to reveal the intention of Saul's heart. We've already seen his intention in the last chapters, but this is going to reveal it to Jonathan as well. So this plan is a bulletproof plan. Hold on, I said that wrong. This plan is an arrow-proof plan. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. And so God has given immense wisdom here. We can tell that this is definitely a gift of God given to Jonathan and David that they come up with this plan. The day has arrived, so let's see this plan in action. Verses 24 through 29. So David hid himself in the field. When the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. 
king sat on his seat as other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave for me of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go. For our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brothers commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. This plan is going flawlessly. Everything is in order now, um, because it's God's plan. Clearly, he's going to make it happen. And so, everything is ready. Now all we have to do is see Saul's reaction. I do not condone betting. But if you look at the previous track record of Saul, how do you think he's going to do on this one? Yeah, you're probably right. Let's look. It, it turns ugly really fast. Verse 30 through 34. So now we're going to see Saul's intention. Then Saul's anger was kindled. Here we go again. Against Jonathan now. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Verse 33. But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Saul is given another opportunity to repent and to relent. And instead, he's going to double down with his anger and his rage. He defames Jonathan's mother, which would be his wife, by cursing her out and Jonathan at the same time. This is opposite of godly character. This man is unfit to lead Israel. He refers to David as the son of Jesse. He doesn't even say David's name, and he doesn't even refer to him as his son-in-law. He's distancing himself, and even mentioning David's name starts to get Saul's blood boiling. He is so blinded, by his rage and his anger. Now, picture Jonathan with that in mind, your dad fuming. You've already seen him try to kill David, or you're hearing about all this. You have two options. Number one, you can try to quelch his anger. Dad's all right, like, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm going to support you. Or you can stand up for God's anointed King David. What a tough predicament. Either way, there's going to be consequences or results for your choice. Jonathan, as I told you, is a stand-up man of God. His response to his dad, what has David done? He stands up for God's anointed, even in the midst of the, what he's putting on the line. Saul, out of his rage, what does he do? Again, he seems to have a spear near him all the time. It's questionable. He picks it up, and he launches it, not at David, 
But at who? His son. That's a messed up situation. Clearly, this man is not fit for the kingdom of God. The text tells us he threw it at his son to strike him. I wanted to know what that word strike meant, because was he sending it as a warning sign? I'll put it right next to him, then he'll know, like, hey, you need to shape up and be on my side. But that's not what the word means. The word strike here means strike dead, hit, injure, to smite in pieces or to pierce through. His intent was to kill his own son. That is his anger boiled over against God and against God's anointed. This is an evil man. His heart's been corrupted. And we see Jonathan, he leaves, he gets up in fierce anger, the text says. That'd be a righteous anger. And why is he grieved? Did anybody catch it in the text? This man just almost was killed by his own dad. And what does the text say? He was grieved because of what? David. He was grieved because his father disgraced David, God's anointed. Does that tell you the character of Jonathan? He loves David. He loves God. And he's willing to put everything on the line, even when facing almost death. His grieving isn't for that. It's because David was disgraced. Telling you, this man's character is stand-up. Godly kindness is worth the cost. So now he needs to break this news to David, and that's what happens in 35 through 40. So read that with me. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, go and carry them into the city. Jonathan reveals to David that his life is in extreme peril, extreme danger. So did you catch the last verse there in verse 40? Again, we can read this really quick and not see that there's something special that Jonathan does to care for David. Verse 40, I'll read it again. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. Why is that significant? Jonathan was armed every turn, every direction David goes, danger is lurking. So Jonathan, being a loyal, kind friend, sends the weapons away. And now they can have this heart-to-heart conversation. David doesn't know who he can trust, but by sending the weapons, Jonathan is saying, I am on your side. I am on God's side. I'm going to do God's plan. And so again, a costly sacrifice that Jonathan makes. And watch David's response to all this. Verses 41 and 42. And this is an appropriate response to what happened. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from besides the stone heap, fell on his face to the ground, bowed three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we've sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So we see David fall on the ground, face on the ground that is paying homage or submitting or recognizing that he's standing with somebody 
that has done some amazing things for him and caring for him. We see that he bows three times. This is reverence, again, submission. Then the text tells us that they weep together and they actually kiss together. Some people have made a claim that there was some sort of romantic relationship between these two. That's not what's going on in the text. We don't see any any of that in the scriptures between these two. This is a cultural thing. Um, I know we don't do that in our culture, which a lot of you are saying, oh, thank the Lord. But in this time, it was a cultural thing. And so this was just an act of love between these two. And just think about it. He just put his life on the line for David. And so David's going to have a reaction of thank you so much for your act of kindness, your act of love, your loyalty. And so weeping together is an appropriate response. So that wraps up 1 Samuel 20. And what we saw was they established this covenant together that they were having, looking out for each other and their offspring. But all we saw in this was Jonathan sacrificing time and time again for David. A covenant is between two people. And so Jonathan's kept his end of the deal. I had to ask, as I've been studying this passage, does David keep his end? We don't see that here, but we do. We have the gift of the whole scripture, all of scripture, so we can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you would do that. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we are going to see Jonathan kept his end of the deal, lots of sacrifice out of love for David, and now David is going to keep his side of the deal with lots of sacrifice for Jonathan. So 2 Samuel 9, we've advanced. David is now on the throne, and Jonathan, unfortunately, has been killed. Um, The Philistines killed Jonathan, but now David is on the throne, And he remembers, I made a covenant with Jonathan that was to his offspring and my offspring forever. Watch how David is going to honor the covenant that he made, even after Jonathan is already gone. So this is 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And David said, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there, still some, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. I want to pause there. We're going to pick this up then. But whenever a new king would take the throne, it was common practice to kill everybody in the family of the previous king. Sounds horrific, but that was a way of protecting the throne. There might still be loyalty to the previous family, so if you wipe them all out, their loyalty would then be moved to the new king. So... Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son, knows that there's a new king, so he is in hiding. He is hiding for his life, and all of a sudden, somebody shows up at his door and says, the king is summoning you. What's the one thing that's going through your mind? Today is the day I'm going to die. The king finally found me. It's over. So you can just picture him showing up at the king, just ready to be killed. And watch what David does. This is a huge sacrifice, an act of love. 
So let's pick this up. David said, we're looking at second part of verse 6. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth is absolutely shocked. Should have been killed from all worldly wisdom, but instead has been given the inheritance of the family of Saul. A huge sacrifice that should have been David's, and yet he is going to lavish these gifts onto Mephibosheth. Godly kindness is worth the cost. Look what happens next in verses 9 through 13. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all the house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that the Lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Like what? Like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. That's the second time we're told that. Earlier it said he's crippled in both feet. Now it says he's lame in both feet. What are the scriptures talking about? We see in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we get insight into Jonathan's son. Listen to this. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So at five years old, news breaks that Jonathan's been killed, Saul's been killed. And so this nurse that's caring for Mephibosheth knows that she needs to get him out. They're hunting Mephibosheth down and any family members. And so the nurse doing the right thing is trying to get him to safety. We don't know if she fell or if he fell out of her arms. All we know is that he hit the ground and no longer has use of his legs. Just like that. Five years old, life completely changed. So not only was he in hiding for his life, he now also doesn't have access to his feet. This is a man who referred to himself as a dead dog. He is broken. He is in need of somebody displaying compassion. And David steps up to the plate, remembering Jonathan and the covenant that was made, and invites Mephibosheth to be his son. Mephibosheth was carried to the table for every meal, treated like the king's son. David turns the abandoned into the accepted. He keeps his covenant of old, and he treats Jonathan's son as his own. You guys are going to have the privilege to hear a song that was written from Mephibosheth's perspective. They're trying to capture what would have been going through his mind. And so this is a song that looks to this, this story and how kindness was displayed to him. But I want you to also see how Christ, in a sense in our spiritual condition where we're broken, also carries us to his table that we can fellowship with him. 
So you and I in the New Testament church have the privilege of seeing a similar act of kindness in Christ. But this is all from Mephibosheth's perspective. And then after this, I have some exciting news that I'm going to share with you of how can Grace Point get involved um, in this in a cool way. Thank you, worship team. Love how it presents a perspective of Mephibosheth. You can just picture as he thought he had certain death and David, whether it's David or one of his servants carrying Mephibosheth to the table being treated like one of his own sons. What's this have to do with Grace Point? What are some applications that we can make as a church? See, David taking on Mephibosheth was costly. The wear and tear on his body. He supplied Mephibosheth with lots of servants who could have been serving him. He put his own desires on the back burner so he could care for Jonathan's son, who now is his own son. God has a heart for those with special needs. David was said that he was a man after God's own heart. I think one of the ways that that's captured is his love for this forgotten Mephibosheth. My family, as most of you know, a family of five, our two youngest have chromosome disorders. Um, I have Mercy, who is six. She does not have a chromosome disorder, but Elias, who's four, and Joella, who's one, both do. In fact, there are no other people besides them, too, that we know of that have their chromosome disorder. So my children really are one of a kind. And what's awesome about it is we have to trust God day in and day out because doctors cannot say, here's what it's going to look like, because there's never been any situation like this before for them. I asked Tara, who's part of a special needs moms group, I asked her to ask a question to the moms that are on that group. And the moms there, some of them are in our situation with young special needs children. Others are seasoned in special needs and have been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. And so it was a unique opportunity to ask a good cross-section of the special needs community to answer this following prompt. Special needs life is blank. There are words that come to mind for me, but I wanted to hear it from them. And so they gave me this long list, and I broke it into two different lists. Here's the first one. Special needs life is challenging, Isolating, life-changing, scary, misunderstood, exhausting, heartbreaking, and a loss of dreams. I think this captures a good piece of the special needs life. For me personally, it's even hard for us to take our family to a restaurant to get a meal together because Elias, our four-year-old, makes a huge mess There are people that are looking and watching that I can only think what they're thinking. Why are you letting your kid do that? It's difficult to even go out for a meal. And so you see those words like isolating, misunderstood. I also think of the loss of dreams. As a parent, you think of, can't wait for my child to graduate, maybe go to college, enter the workforce, get married, grandchildren. It's a loss of dreams for those of us with special needs children. So this list captures, but it's not the only list. There's a second list I want to share that's equally important. 
Special needs life is also a calling, an opportunity to know who God is, an opportunity to experience joy like never before, growthful, never a dull moment, important work, an assignment, a journey, a marathon, an opportunity to exercise patience and humility. What do these two lists tell us? Number one, there's a community in our backyard that desperately needs to know the love of Christ and the love of being part of the church family. I have that with you guys. But there are a lot of special needs families that do not have it. They need to know the love of Christ and need to know that this community is one that's going to support and pour out for them, for the often forgotten families. And here's the second thing with, in regards to list two. We have so much to learn from these families. Every moment, special needs families, mine included, are leaning heavily on Jesus Christ because we do not know what tomorrow holds for our child. And so we cling to Christ. Anybody that's part of the prayer chain that goes around amongst our church, you've seen our name pop up quite a few times. Pray for the Davis family. Joella's got a shunt problem. Every morning, we don't know if we're headed to CHOP or we're able to stay home. And so we rely fully on Christ and cling to him. Our church body can learn so much from special needs families and how they have incredible faith. And for those that know Christ, they know him in a very intimate way because they're fully relying on him. So not only do we have the opportunity to bless special needs families, we also are going to be blessed by them. If you know of any special needs families, I'm sure they've been a blessing to you. So we have this community in our backyard and our staff, we've been praying, and this has come up numerous times that we need to get started uh, special needs ministry. And so that's what I wanted to introduce today. This is in the early stages, but we need to know that we have the hands to pull this off. Special needs ministry takes like double or triple the volunteers because it's very specialized care. And not only do we want to support them physically, we also want to help support special needs families spiritually. So we want to train the whole family in the, in the word of God and to care for them. So if this is something that you could see yourself doing and getting behind, please email us at kids at gracepointpa.org. That will get you connected with Sophie, our children's ministry director, and myself. And we are working hard. We want to have this not just for children or teens, but for any special needs individual. So if this is something you're interested, please reach out to us. We would love to see this happen. When I think of Mephibosheth, and I picture David carrying him, it makes me think of my son Elias, who's four. You can see him here in the picture. If you didn't see him, he's always crawling around the church. Uh, he cannot walk. And so he literally has to be carried everywhere we go. And it's wear and tear on our bodies. It's hard. I think of David doing that. It's costly. But godly kindness is worth the cost. There's a day coming where God's going to restore all things. In the meantime, we can serve this community and love on them. See, Elias cannot say thank you to all of you that have cared for him, whether in the nursery or just played with him, making him feel like a prince. He cannot say thank you yet. I certainly hope it's in this life he's able, but certainly in the next. Elias will stand before the Lord and thank God for the kindness that you displayed towards him. What an opportunity that we have to pour into this 
special needs community. I want to read this text as we close. It's from Isaiah 35, and it's a text that's looking to the future. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Think of Mephibosheth leaping. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I don't know about you, but this, I cannot wait for this day that God's going to make right everything. So we have an opportunity until he does to serve this community and be in the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful for the word of God. We're so grateful for these two characters that we're introduced to here in 1 Samuel 20. We think of Jonathan, who should become king from any worldly measure, and yet he surrenders everything because he knows that David's the anointed one. What an act of love for you and for David. And as they covenant together, he sacrifices his own life. He's willing to die for this cause. And then I think of David taking Mephibosheth as his own son. The kindness that he displays, lavishing all these servants on him and inviting him, bringing him to the table And then, Lord, I think of the special needs families here in Bucks County. I think of these lists. They feel isolated, forgotten. I pray that Grace Point would stand in the gap and let them know the love of Christ and let them know that we are here to support whatever it looks like. And then I know that you're going to just bless us beyond measure as we see their faith, as we see their love for you, as we see their reliance on you, that every day, We have to depend on you. And so would you just bless the conversations that will be coming up as we start this ministry? Would you prepare your servants? We know that the harvest is is huge, but the laborers are few. So I pray that you'd raise up people that we could do this here at Grace Point. And may it all be for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.